Hi, Cedar Mill. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. What a great day uh, to be with you and to worship our God. As we get started today, uh, one of the things that I've observed in people when they first give their life to Jesus is they have to sort of go through this, this process, this moment, this initial season where they wonder, what does this mean for my life? What can stay the same, the same now that I'm a follower and what has to change? What's acceptable and what's unacceptable? I remember going through this as, as a young college student. I'd just given my life to the Lord and I was trying to figure out what does this mean for me? And some of those struggles were really good because there were some things in my life that the Lord definitely wanted me to shift, to change, to, to kind of move towards and away from. But other things in my life, looking back, were simply just circumstances in my life that God didn't need to change, but he actually wanted to use. But I had to sort of sort through all of that as, as a new young believer. And I bring this up because this is exactly what the Corinthians in the church at Corinth are going through. They're wrestling with what does it look like to really walk with Jesus in this world? And if you were here the last couple of weeks, you know that the issues they were wrestling with included sex, singleness, and marriage. They were asking, what does sex look like in the life of a follower of Jesus? Or what does sex look like in the life of a follower who's single and, and a follower who's married? Furthermore, uh, what's the right marital status to have? If I'm single, should I stay single? If I'm married, should I stay married? And if I'm married to an unbeliever, what does that mean for me? So they have all these questions, but the big question behind all of their little questions is how should I live as a follower of Jesus in this world, what's the right path for my life? And today, Paul's going to continue to answer this very question. But instead of talking about marital status, today, Paul's going to talk about religious status and social status. Here's the question Is there a right religious status and is there a needed social status for followers of Jesus? Is there a right religious status and is there a needed social status for followers of Jesus? Let's get going. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. In other words, this is just sort of universal for all followers of Jesus everywhere. And here's Paul's main point today, his main argument. And I'll repeat this throughout the passage. God can use you in whatever circumstance you're in. No matter what your situation, no matter what your station in life, no matter what religious or social status you have been given, you can faithfully follow Jesus and God can use you in this world. See, one of the things that, that Paul is challenging in these young believers and in you and me is this notion of if, if, if my circumstances were different, then I could really follow Jesus. If the external realities of my life could only change, then I would be a faithful follower. And we all sometimes fall into if, but Paul is saying here, that's not true. If is a myth. If is a lie. In fact, 
God often wants to use our situations to bring him glory. He often wants us more focused on our internal attitudes than our external atmospheres. I love how Eugene Peterson translates verse 17. And don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. Paul is telling the Corinthian Christians that their life circumstances, their stations and their status in this world cannot and must not prevent them from faithfully following the Lord. And now Paul will tackle the issue of religious status. Verse 18. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. All right, this passage can be a little confusing for us because we have a little different idea of you know, religious status than the Corinthians did in their world. But in their world, here was the situation. There were two main groups. One of them was the Jewish believers and the other was the Gentile or Greek believers. And the Jewish believers, they were of the mindset that said, oh, you you gave your life to Jesus. You gave your life to the Lord. That is great. That is awesome. But if you really want to get in on the good stuff, if, if you really want to follow God fully with your life, you have got to become Jewish. And if you're male, that means that we have something for you. It's, it's just a little operation, right? And, and again, for us, this is kind of weird and wacky and may even seem kind of silly. Um, you know, a little piece of foreskin being removed, that's not that big of a deal, is it? Why are we making such a big deal about it? But for them, it was a big deal. For these Jewish believers, it was huge. For them, circumcision was the outward expression of their religious status as the covenant people of God. So for the Jews in this church, there were the fully committed circumcised Christians and the nominally committed uncircumcised Christians. First class, second class. All in, kind of in, right? That's their perspective. But then there was another group, of course, the Greeks. And their view was actually opposite. Because For them, they were products of the Greco-Roman Empire. And in the Greco-Roman Empire, the Jews were a conquered people. They were an oppressed people. They were a kind of a despised and looked down upon people group. So for the Greek, these Greek Christians, their thought was, why in the world would we want to associate following Jesus with this very marginalized religious sect? No, we don't. We want to distance ourselves from them. We want to separate following Jesus from Judaism. Now, maybe you read these verses and you're thinking to yourself, okay, like I understand the whole getting circumcised thing, but like how do you become uncircumcised? How does that even a deal? Well, well, friends, and how would people even know? I mean, would anyone even know if you did this? Well, in the ancient world, they actually would. They had this thing called public bathhouses. People in this culture would actually go and bathe 
in the nude together. And so if you were circumcised or uncircumcised, people would find out. And I know this is way too graphic of an illustration for Sunday morning, but it is in the Bible. So I'm just, I'm just offering it to you here. Here's the point. This passage does relate to you and me on some level. Because in our world, we don't debate if circumcision defines our religious status or not. That's not a debate for us. But we do, just like they did, create religious status and sort of a religious pecking order in our world and in our churches. We create hierarchy in, 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 the, in God's family in a lot of different ways. I'll give you one way that I think we do this that is prevalent and often harmful. We create religious status based on what you do for a living. You see, sometimes we think things like, now that I'm a committed follower of Jesus, should I, if I really want to sell out for the Lord, quit my job and become a missionary or a pastor or work for, for some Christian nonprofit organization? I mean, to really go for it with the Lord. I can't just work in real estate or in finance or in shoe sales or in engineering, can I? If I'm a public school teacher, now that I'm a Christ follower, maybe I should go and work at a Christian school. And friends, the answer, the answer to those questions is a solid maybe. Maybe, maybe you should. Maybe God will. God does sometimes call people to make changes like this in their lives. God does sometimes call people to quit their jobs and to go off on the mission field, but he doesn't always do that. In fact, I'd say he mostly doesn't do that. And that's what Paul's saying here. Most of the time, God has a plan to use you right where you are. Rick Colson, one of our, our elders here, tells the story about struggling with this very thing um, throughout his life because in college, a lot of his Christian friends went on to kind of go into vocational ministry settings. And so they're all going off to do like vocational ministry to work for the church or for a parachurch organization. And, and Rick said he found himself feeling like, well, I guess I'm going to just go and just be an engineer. Rick says he always sort of felt like a little bit of a second-class citizen in comparison to these other people who were pastors and missionaries, and he was just an engineer. But then a number of years ago, something happened that, that changed Rick's perspective. He went on a trip with Luis Palau to Vietnam. And while they were there in Vietnam on this sort of evangelistic and outreach festival, they discovered that a number of people from the Hmong um, people group had come to Christ. People who lived off in a very remote area, off in the hills, had come to faith in Jesus. And it turned out that they hadn't heard about Jesus from a pastor or from a missionary who had gone to be with them. They'd heard the gospel on the radio. In fact, they heard the gospel on radios that had been given to them by the government so that the government could sort of like you know, send propaganda their way. And so they're on this trip, they learn this information, and then Luis asked Rick if he wouldn't mind speaking to some of the local pastors about the value of having 
business people in the church because in that church culture to be a business person was sort of seen as like a greedy carnal worldly venture that was pretty corrupt and so a lot of church people a lot of pastors would look down on businessmen so so rick's thinking about this message that he's going to give to these pastors in vietnam and as he thought about this message something clicked for him And when he spoke to the pastors, he said to them, hey, we all know that a number of the Hmong people have come to faith in Jesus. And we know that this happened simply by them hearing the gospel on the radio. And the pastors were like, yeah, it's amazing. It's so good. And then Rick said, let me ask you something. Who figured out how to make radios? Who who are the people who made the radio stations that could beam those messages to those radios? And who paid for the construction of those radio towers? Rick's, Rick's point was the Hmong people have heard and received the gospel, but God didn't just use pastors and missionaries to accomplish this. He used engineers and businessmen who had used their gifts and talents and abilities to do good work in this world. Friends, There is no religious status in the church because of what you do. Yeah, there's spiritual authority in the church. There's spiritual responsibility in the church. But there is not religious status. In other words, my pastoring is no more or less for Jesus than your teaching or your engineering or your stay-at-home momming. Notice that Paul says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. It doesn't matter if you're Greek or Jewish. Your status doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a professor or a preacher. Keeping God's commands is what counts. He's saying, whoever you are and wherever you're called, work at it as unto the Lord for his glory because it's all of equal value to him. You can be a garbage collector in this world for Jesus and God values that just as much as being a pastor of a church. Now, don't get me wrong. If God calls you to go into vocational ministry or to go be a missionary, go. If not, know that God is calling you to be a missionary wherever you are. You don't have to change your circumstance to serve Christ. In fact, God may not want you to change your atmosphere, just your attitude, just your approach to life. Let's keep going. Verse 21, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. Friends, in this passage, Paul makes a shift from religious status now to social status, and his message is still the same. You can be a follower of Jesus no matter what social status you've been given. Now, this was something that was heavily debated in the Corinthian church because Greek society did not say this. Greek society divvied people up very distinctly into four different social uh, classes. Our society divvies people up into social classes. It's a little more like implicit. They were very explicit about it. They had the upper class or the Athenians, the middle class or the medics, the lower class or the freedmen. And then finally at the very bottom was the slave class. Now, the way that Greek society worked, you would not ever spend time 
or associate with someone who was not in the same class as you, specifically not someone in a lower class. And so this reality began to create a lot of confusion and questions for the church because all these people from all these different classes are now mushed together in the family of God. And so the question is, how, what do we do here? How do we associate with one another? And friends, the, the answer to us might seem obvious, right? Like there is no class structure in the church, but to them, these new believers, this was not obvious, In fact, there were people in this church who were saying, you know, we can't have slaves being Christians because that would make us look really bad socially. They've got all these slaves coming to Christ and these people are going like, what do we do? I mean, how are we going to reach upper class people or middle class people if we have slaves in our church? And so the message to these slaves was, you can be a part of our church, but you need to go and win your freedom first. And so Paul is now writing to this church, and his answer is clear. Absolutely not. You can be a slave and follow Jesus just as faithfully as an Athenian can. Now, in fact, if you listen to Jesus, if you listen to what he teaches, he would say it might even be harder to follow him the farther up the social ladder that you climb, but that's a whole nother message. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. That is not an issue for the Lord. He does not see your social status. Now, I want to be clear about something here. Paul is not answering the question in this passage, is God okay with slavery? He's not at, the question is not, does God like slavery? Does God approve of slavery? That is not the issue. In fact, you'll notice that at this point, Paul actually adds a caveat to his comments. He says, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. In other words, God wants people to be free. God's desire is that all people would be treated with the dignity and the respect they deserve as image bearers of the living God. That's God's heart. That's God's hope that we as his followers would not see people through the lens lens of social status, but see people as those created in God's image. So again, Paul is not saying here that we should just accept slavery as an institution. No, He's saying, if you find yourself in a situation, in even this situation, it will not and should not and cannot prevent you from being a follower of Jesus. And friends, I I, I believe Paul actually chooses slavery, the very bottom class of this society, for a reason. And his reason is this. He's telling us very, very clearly that there is not a status or a situation or a circumstance in this entire world so bad that it can prevent you from trusting and following God. You see, friends, a lot of times this world we live in will tell you, in fact, even this the church will sometimes tell you, and we can often be fooled into telling ourselves that if only our circumstances were different, then we could faithfully follow. And again, Paul writes today to say that is just not true. Listen to what he says next. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's 
slave. Here's Paul's point. No matter what your status in this world, no matter what situation you find yourself in, two things are true of you if you are a follower of Jesus. One, you are free. You are free from the penalty of sin. You are free from the bonds of sin. You are free now to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be and become the person God longs for you to be. If you are in Christ, you are free no matter what your worldly situation is. That's one. Here's two. You're free and and you are a slave. If you are in Christ, you are a slave to God. He's your Lord, he's your king, he's your master. In other words, you have given up your freedom to be and do whatever you will and you are now surrendered to Jesus Christ and to his will. So Paul, this is, this is amazing. He says to this church, to those looking down on the slaves, the slave class, he says, we're all slaves and we're all of us in the church slaves to the same master. And then, and then he says to those who are, who are free, he says to the slaves, he says, and we're all free. We've all been set free from the strongest bonds this world can throw our way, the bonds of sin and death. We are all in the same boat, which is why we can be together in the church. Listen to this, verse 23. He says, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Friends, what Paul is saying here is that when our circumstances drive our thoughts and actions and lives, when our situations determine how we respond, we become slaves to the world. We are slaves, we become slaves to situations and to other people. But Paul reminds us here that we were bought at a price. You are God's slaves now. And so he says, he calls the shots on how you respond no matter what situation you find yourself in. Let me make this practical for you. Just the other day, my wife and I were driving our son to his baseball game. And it was right kind of in the middle of rush hour traffic and we were driving down to Tigard and we found ourselves in the wrong lane. We were getting off on this exit ramp and we're trying to get over into the right lane to make a right-hand turn, but the cars were jammed in there. Amy was driving, she had her signal on. No one was letting us in. We couldn't get in and the, the, the turn was fast approaching. And then finally, there was a little gap in the, in the cars, like a gap between this car and a truck that was just back a little bit. So Amy kind of slipped in. So we slipped into the right-hand lane and then made the turn. Well, this guy driving the truck behind us, he did not like that we slipped in. He was super upset about like the slip in. Um, and he let us know. He was yelling. We couldn't hear him at this point, but he was yelling. We could see that through, through the you know, rear view mirror, through the windshield. And he raised a certain finger at us for doing this. And he was super upset. And then at one point, he pulled up next to us at a stoplight and he continued to yell and he continued to raise that same finger as he screamed obscenities at my wife. Now, in this moment, in this situation, what began to happen in me was this, this you know, protective husband thing, this desire in me to begin to yell back at him. Words that I won't say in church. There was this desire in me to, to raise a certain finger of mine in response to his finger raised at us. And at one point, I actually even felt this urge, like I'm gonna get out of the car and let this guy know because no one treats my wife like that. Now, I didn't do any of that, I want you to know. But if I had, if I had, 
what would I be saying? I would simply be saying, I am a slave to this guy. I'm a slave to this situation. I'm a slave to this circumstance. If I would have responded in that way, I would have essentially been saying, this angry trucker guy gets to determine how I think and feel and respond in this moment, not Jesus. See, friends, that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I know that you are facing some very tough situations, some very, very, very difficult circumstances. But your status and your situations and your circumstances, they no longer rule you. They no longer get to determine how you live. Christ is now your king. And so in any and every situation, let him dictate your life. You can live for Christ in any circumstance. Friends, so many of us have bought into the lie that we could live for Christ if, if my job were different, if my boss were nicer, if my school wasn't so sinful, if my friends were holier, if my dating life improved, if my finances were more abundant, if my spouse were just more faithful, then I could live for Christ. Then I could fully or faithfully follow. And Paul is saying here, why in the world would you ever Let your boss or parents or kids or spouse or coach or teacher or income level or job satisfaction or health or anyone or anything else determine how you think and feel and act when Jesus has purchased you for himself on the cross at the cost of his own life. Why in the world would you let any situation prevent you from living as though Christ is king? Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God, right? As responsible to God, but him as king and master should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Paul is not not saying here you can never seek to change your situation or your status or your station in life, but that you don't need to in order to follow Jesus. Let me ask you this as we close. Where in your life are you living like a slave to your circumstances? Where in your life are you waiting for your situation to change so that you can begin to live for Jesus? Where in your life, friends, do you need to very intentionally and carefully and purposefully put Jesus back on the throne and ask, God, what does it look like for me to serve you in this situation that I'm in, as hard and as difficult as it is? Who are you calling me to be? How are you calling me to act? What are you calling me to say? How are you calling me to be your man or your woman or your teenager or your young person in this season in this world for your glory friends where in your life today ask the holy spirit this where in your life today do circumstances need to stop driving so that god can have control of your life i'll close today with the words of the apostle paul himself In Philippians chapter 4, he talks about living this way himself. Listen to these words. 
I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. He can do it because Christ is king. God bless you, friends. We'll see you soon.